I want everyone to think for a minute of what the relationship between B'nai Israel and Hashem is when they are standing at Matan Torah. If you can imagine, they were just taken out of Egypt. Hashem performed all of these incredible miracles for them. They crossed the Yamsuf. They arrived at Har Sinai. They prepared for Har Sinai. Hashem appears to them at Har Sinai, gives them the Torah. And it is at that point in their relationship that B'nai Israel are completely and totally dependent on Hashem. That the B'nai Israel say, Naseb and Nishma, whatever you do, we will, whatever you want, we will do, whatever you say, we will listen. Naseb and Nishma, we are completely dependent on you, Hashem. Hashem, you have done everything for us. Here we are standing as complete servants to you. We are Avde Hashem in the greatest sense of the word. And you are our master, you are our provider. And then we move on from Matan Torah. We said last week we have Parshat Mishpatim in which Hashem is giving us further commandments and laws how to, how to lead our lives. And then we arrive this week in Parsha Truma, which is a turning point in the Sefer, as the rest of the Sefer, aside from Parsha Kitisa, in which we will flash back, or it happens there, big debate among the Mepharshim, but we will talk again about post-Matan Torah. But at this point, Hashem commands us to build the Mishkan, and the details and technicalities of building the Mishkan will carry us through the rest of the Sefer. But the question can be asked, I want us to put, a, put aside in our minds what the relationship is between Menei Yisrael and Hashem at this time. Again, this year, we're not specifically studying the relationships, but as we saw last year, the relationships bleed into every other way we can possibly analyze the parsha. So we now transition, and Hashem commands us in the beginning of, of parsha Terumavei Daber Hashem al Moshe Leimor, Daber al Menei Yisrael Vayekhuli Terumami Eikol Ish, Asher Yedvenu Libo Tichu Et Terumati. Hashem's command Moshe commands Moshe saying, you should tell all of Am Yisrael that they should bring me donations. You shall accept these donations for me from every person who, who chooses to give over. And the question can be asked, why from this point through the end of the Sefer are we going to receive the commandment to build the Mishkan? This Sefer, Sefer Shemot, has been about the servitude in Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, the, rece- the receiving of the Torah. Why then do we have in such intricacy the details of building the Mishkan to round out this Sefer? How does this connect to what the rest of the Sefer had discussed previously? I'm going to think about two approaches. The first approach is that of the Ramban. The Ramban gives an introduction to each Sefer of the Torah, within which he names the Sefer. For example, he names Sefer Bereshit, Sefer Hayetzira. He names Sefer Vayikra, Torah's Kohanim. He has a name for each Sefer that rather than how we name it, which is based on the language in the beginning of the Sefer, Bereshit Bar Elohim, Sefer Shemos, Vayikra Hashem al Moshe, um, so on and so forth. The Ramban gives a more meaningful name to the Sefer that is meant to encapsulate what the Sefer discusses. And the Ramban in his Hakdama to Sefer Shemot states, His Shlim HaKatov Sefer Bereshit Shehu Sefer HaYetzira B'chidush HaOlam B'yetzirat Kol Nozar The Torah began 
with Sefer Hayetzira, the book of creation, of the creation that everything is in it, the Mikrei Ha'avot Shehin Ke'inyan Yetzira Lezar'am, the discussion of all of the Avot, which are connected to this idea of Yetzira, because everything they do, we say, Masa Avot Siman Lavanim, everything that they did was, quote-unquote, a creation for us. It was a lesson that they gave over to us as to how to act and how to live our lives. Because everything that happens to the Avot hints to what will happen to us in the future. And post-Sefer Bereshit, everything that happens throughout the rest of the Sfarim was alluded to in Sefer Bereshit. So what is Sefer Shemot about? It is about the Galas Harishon, the first exile, the Hageula Mimenu, and the redemption from it. The Ramban is addressing the question of why it repeats the names of everybody who went down to Egypt, even though it's stated it at the end of Sefer Bereshit. And he says, because Sefer Shemot is going to be a Sefer Hagalos Vehagula, the Sefer of exile and redemption. And therefore, it must include the names of who went down, because this is an integral part of the beginning of the Galos, is knowing who was there at the beginning. Vihine Hagalos Inenu Nishlam. So now the Ramban is addressing our question of why does this Sefer Hagalas Vahagula, this book of exile and redemption, why does it finish off with the building of the Mishkan? Why is that relevant to the idea of exile and redemption? And he states, Vihine Hagalas Inenu Nishlam, the exile was not finished. Adyom Shuvam El Mekumam Malat Abutam the exile was not fully ended until they returned to their place that they had been previously, to the, st- the state in which the Avot had been. When they left from Egypt, even though they left from the house of slavery, they were still thought of as those that are in exile, because they were in a land that was not their own, they were wandering in the desert. And when they arrived at Harsinai, and then they built the Mishkan, and Hashem returns to them and rests his Shechina among them, they return to the stature at which their Avot sat, that this the relationship that the Avot had with Hashem was that they held the secret to connecting with Hashem and they had this relationship with Hashem. They were the vehicle through which they brought this relationship with Hashem into the world. And therefore they were thought of as having been redeemed. So therefore, this Sefer Galos and Geula must end with this building of the Mishkan because this is returning to the status of the Avot, that they are now at a place in which Hashem is resting among them, and therefore, only at that point are they considered um, Geulim, that they were redeemed. 
However, the Zionist in me has a nagging question here, which is how can one say that the Geula is complete, that the redemption is complete, simply when they build the Mishkan, when they have this Makom for the Shechina, but they have not yet arrived in Eretz Yisrael. Wouldn't you therefore say that the Geula is not complete until the very end of the Torah, until the end of Sefer Devarim, that they have not returned to Eretz Yisrael yet? Therefore, how can they truly be called Geulim? How can they be called redeemed? So while I think this does answer the question as to why the Mishkan, the instructions to build the Mishkan can be found at the end of Sefer Shemot to a certain extent, I think it still leaves us with questions. However, I believe that Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, Allah Shalom, gives us a fascinating insight as to why these, these instructions can be found here at the end of Sefer Shemot that relates back to what we discussed when we imagined the relationship between B'nai Israel and Hashem when they were standing at Har Sinai, and I believe teaches us an incredible midah that Hashem was giving over to us. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs explains, while the beginning of Sefer Shemot was incredible, it was miraculous, there, are the, there is not only the Shiabud Mitzrayim, but there is the Geula from Mitzrayim, there is the Mako, there is Kriyas Yamsuf, there is Matan Torah, there is this even quote-unquote smaller miracles of the water at Marah, just as one example. However, Rabbi Sachs says, the beginning of Sefer Shemot is also a laundry list of complaints. He says, from the moment that we, that B'nai Israel meet Moshe, there is a complaint. Moshe arrives in Egypt and their work got harder and they complain. They arrive at the Yamsof. Hashem just took them out of Egypt with Nisim Vinifla'o's incredible miracles. And they arrive at the Yamsof and they say, again, as a complaint, Hashem, was there not enough grave space in Egypt that you had to take us out to kill us here at the Yamsof? Now they cross the Yamsof. All is incredible. This is the greatest miracle that humankind has ever seen. And then they're thirsty. So they complain again. And they want this. And they want that. And it is one long laundry list of complaints, culminating post Matan Torah, post the literal revelation of Hashem's presence to humankind. B'nai Yisrael feel that Moshe did not return when he was meant to. And therefore, they complain, we need someone else to lead us. And they commit the sin of Chaita Egal. Rabbi Sachs says, this really shows us how B'nai Israel were in their infancy as a nation. That when a child needs something, they complain. They are completely dependent on their parents. And therefore, when they need something, they ask for it. And they ask for it, and they complain, and they complain again. And this was what the state in which Am Yisrael was found post-Matan Torah. The post-Matan Torah, they were completely dependent on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem had taken them out of Egypt, which physically created them as a nation. It pulled them out of Egypt, and those that left were going to make up Am Yisrael. He brought them to Matan Torah, in which he gave them their guidebook, their rules by which to guide their lives. And that further developed them as a nation. It turned them into not only a group of people, but truly a nation with a shared purpose and mission. And they are at Matan Torah, but as we said in the beginning, they are in a state of infancy as a nation. They are unable to move along in their relationship because they are still so new and they are in the state of being completely dependent on Hashem and therefore they complain and they complain again They are young children of a nation. 
So Hashem says at this point, let them build me a home together. Hashem says, I am going to help them to mature mature as a nation. Because a nation cannot remain in this state of being completely dependent on me, of having no way to fend for themselves, of being simply able to think about themselves and what they need. They need to mature. They need to become greater than this. And I want them to have a relationship with me. And how am I going to have them do this? Asher yidvenu libo. I am going to turn them into givers. And through giving, they are going to become builders. They are now going to become self-sufficient. That yes, they are going to still rely on me as their God. But they are not going to be complete dependents without any way of producing themselves in the world, without any way of giving back. He says, I am going to give them a way to give. Because through giving, you mature. That as you go through life, you are not just in a position of being able to take and take and take. In order to develop true relationships in the world, in order to contribute and give back to the world, you must become a giver. So therefore, Rabbi Sack says, Hashem wanted Am Yisrael to transition to this, this new stage, to mature to adulthood as a nation, to give back, to recognize that their relationship with Hashem is not going to be one-sided. They are going to make it a two-sided partnership in which Hashem is obviously going to be the one that gives over to us, that Hashem gives us everything that we have in the world. But we are not meant to just accept it passively. We are meant now to move on to a new stage in which we are going to give back to the world. That this ability to give is what helps us to create true relationships. Rabbi Sachs states it beautifully. Judaism is God's call to responsibility. He does not want us to rely on miracles. He does not want us to be dependent on others. He wants us to become his partners, recognizing that we have what we have, we have from him. But what we make of what we have is up to us, our choices and our effort. Hashem did not want us to move away from him, plus v'shalom. Rather, Hashem wanted us to recognize one, our relationship with him was not meant to just be one of being mekablin, that Hashem is going to be the mashpia, Hashem is going to give over, and we are going to be the mekablin, we are going to be the takers. Rather, Hashem says, I am going to give to you, I am going to provide for you, everything that you have in life is going to be from me. But that doesn't mean that you must remain in that state. Rather, you must become my partner. And you must emulate the actions that I do in the world. You must become givers. Famously, Ruth Dessler in Mechtav Meliyahu and his Kuntras HaChesed, his article on what it means to do chesed, to give to others. Ruth Dessler describes what does it, what do we accomplish through giving? And Ruth Dessler says, here we come to an interesting question. We see that love and giving always come together. Is the giving a consequence of the love, or is perhaps the reverse is true? Is the love a, re- a result of the giving? The Rav Dessler is asking this question of when it comes to love, we often think of love in connection with giving, that when you love someone, you give to them. But Rav Dessler says, is that really how it works? That first you love someone and then you want to give them. Or he says, perhaps is it that when you give, you come to love someone? We usually think it is love that causes giving because we observe that a person showers gifts and favors on one that he loves. But there is another side to the argument. Giving may bring about love for the same reason that a person loves what he himself has created or nurtured. He recognizes it in part of himself. 
Whether it is a child he has brought into the world, an animal he has reared, a plant he has tended, or even a thing that he has made, or a house that he has built. A person is bound in love to the work of his hands, for in it he finds himself. There of Dessler says the root of the word ahava, love is have, to give. That it is not that once we love someone, we give to them. Rather, it is once we give, once we produce from ourselves, we then come to love that person or that thing. The Gemara and Masachat Brachu, at the very end of the Masachat, the final daf, states, Amar Rabbi Eliezer, Amar Rabbi Chanina. Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Chanina teach us, Talmidi Chachamim Arbin Shalom Ba'olam. Talmidi Chachamim, scholars increase um, shalom in the world. Shana Amar, V'chol Banayich Limudei Hashem, V'rav Shalom Banayich. It states as Pasek, V'chol Banayich Limudei Hashem, all of my children are teachers of teach from Hashem, Virav Shalom, Banayich, and they bring about greater Shalom. Al Tikri Banayich, this should not be read, my children, Ella Bonayich, this should be read, my builders. What is meant by this? Why would we be called Hashem's builders? The Chidushe Agaduch um, there comments and says, the Al Tikri Banayich, Ella Bonayich, Ki Elu Hatfil Vahabrachu Him Kiyumo Shal Olam. What is it that we are building? Why are we called Hashem's builders rather than Hashem's children? Because of the tefillot and the brachot that we produce that hold up the world. That when we daven, when we get, or when we make brachot, we give out of ourselves, we recognize what has come to us and we give back. We praise Hashem. We connect with Hashem through tefillah and brachot. That is when we create a true relationship with Hashem. And as we were saying, that giving and relationship building are synonymous. And what we learn from this week's parasha is that a giver is a builder. That when we give of ourselves, we build not only what we are physically putting out, but we build our relationship with Hashem. Rav Steinzaltz adds to this point in his translation of the Gemara, and he says, Al tikre banayich, ela bonayich, shetalmidei hachachamim heim hanikraim bonei shalom hador. That the Talmidei Chachamim, those who are scholars, are called the Bonei Shalom Hador. They build the peace in the nation. They build the peace in that generation. Because as we said, when we give, when we put out, when we build, when we create, we create greater connection between others. We don't just produce what it is that we are aiming to produce. Rather, we build a relationship at the same time, whether it is with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as we said previously, through the tefillot and the brachot that we put out into the world, or whether it is through a general atmosphere that we build up in the world, which is one of shalom. That the Talmidei Chachamim, the, one, the ones that know so much Torah that connect to Hashem in the greatest possible way, are also the Bonei Shalom Hador, those that create greater shalom in their generation. So what Rabbi Sachs is saying is that Hashem was transitioning us out of our infancy by giving us this task. That Hashem wanted us to become the bonim, the builders. That Hashem wanted us to go from a position of taking, taking at Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, taking at Kriyas Yamsa, taking at Matzah Torah, and move into this new stage for the completion of the Sefer, this Sefer that is about building us up as a nation. And Hashem wanted to round out this Sefer with us maturing into our adulthood.
that we are meant to in this sefer, at this very point in the beginning of Parsha Truma, transition from our infancy, from our childhood, into our adulthood as a nation. That we are going from a nation that has received what we are meant to do to a nation with a charge, a nation with a mission, and a way to carry out that mission in the world. That Hashem is giving over to us this integral midah of being givers, and that will help us to move into our next stage as a nation. Sivan Rechav Meir, in her, in her discussion on the Parsha, states, Why does God need all these human actions? Hashem needs us to build us this beautiful home with gold and silver and copper and luxurious fabrics. Why does Hashem need all of this from us? Didn't he split the Red Sea and give us this Torah at Harsinai? So what's the reason for all of our small actions? Why does Hashem need all this? Correct, he doesn't need from us silver and gold, but he wants cooperation, involvement, and commitment a giving that leads to love. Hashem doesn't need our silver and our gold. Hashem doesn't need this home from us. But Hashem needs to teach us, through commanding us to build the Mishkan, what it means to be givers, to first give back to Hashem, and that will teach us how to continue on as givers in our relationship with Hashem and in our relationship with others. The Rambam, in his Eight Levels of Giving, goes through each permutation of how we can give tzedakah to another person. Whether it is that both sides are aware of who they are giving to, who they are receiving from. Whether it is that the recipient is anonymous or the giver is anonymous. The, the Rambam goes through eight permutations. And the highest level, the Rambam says, is giving a man a skill, teaching them how to earn money on, them, on their own. As the saying states, Teach, give a man a fish, you feed him for a night. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. But what's interesting about this is the Rambam, the Rambam says that this is the highest level of giving. However, you are not physically giving that other person anything. They don't walk away in that moment any wealthier than they were a moment before. So why is this the ultimate level of giving? And based on our understanding from Rabbi Sachs, we can see how it is because of the act of giving itself. That through giving to this other person, you are not just giving them a few dollars to buy a meal in that moment, or you're not just giving them food or an article of clothing. Rather, you are giving them a skill, and more importantly, you are connecting to them. You are forming a relationship through the way in which you are giving to them that will carry them through a lifetime. Having a person that they know is there for them, who wants them to succeed, who wants them to grow is more meaningful and more helpful to them than anything physical that you could have given to them. Because this is what is eventually going to carry them through life and is going to help them to be most successful. $5, no matter how you invest it, will come to run out at some point. It will never be as meaningful as having a relationship with another person. So through truly giving to that other person, you are creating that relationship with them. Rabbi Meir teaches us in a Gemara, that infants are born with clenched fists. And at the end of our lives, in Ritz Hashem at 120 years old, when we die, our hands are open. They are outstretched. What is the meaning behind this? That when we come into the world, we are selfish. It is all about us. And we don't mean it. I know I look at my little baby and he doesn't mean to scream for food. He just only is aware of what he needs. We are not born with this ability to think beyond ourselves at first, that everything is clenched fist. It's about me. It's about me. It's what I need. It's about taking in what I need. However, as we move through life, our goal is to open up our hands, 
to recognize that a sign of maturity, a sign of being able to grow up and move on in our lives and develop as individuals is being able to develop this quality of giving. That we go from those that are thinking purely about ourselves to those that are thinking about others. That Amir Tzachem at the end of our lives, our hands are wide open. That we recognize that it is all about what we can give to other people. This is like Am Yisrael. They began out with their, finch, with their fists clenched. When they were in the servitude of Egypt, slaves can only think about themselves. They are only able to think about what is directly in front of them and how it affects them. However, as they go through this process, first they get to the Yamsuf and they begin to mature slightly. Then they arrive at Matan Torah and they begin to think about what they are going to do for the world, how they are going to lead that, their lives. And then we arrive at Parsha Truman. Hashem says, give back, learn to become givers. And this is how we are going to teach you to open up your hands. The gifts that are going to go to build the Mishkan are going to be because you wanted to give them. Hashem is teaching you how to tap into this inherent place within a human being that he says is there that wants to give. That previously we did not know how to access, but Hashem is saying we are going to tap into that place and you are now going to become givers. I want to end off. Sorry, Shir's a little bit shorter today, but I think that the point is a strong point. With a story from Primo Levi. Primo Levi was a Holocaust survivor, and he tells a story of immediately after the Holocaust. After the camps were liberated, he was in one of the concentration camps, and him and a number of other um, prisoners from the camp, survivors at that point, ransacked the kitchen. The kitchen had already been completely picked apart, but they wanted to go find food. So he tells the story. Around the smoking ruins of the burnt huts, groups of patients lay stretched out on the ground, soaking up its last warmth. Others had found potatoes somewhere and were roasting them on the embers of fire, glaring around with fierce eyes. A few had had the strength to light a real fire and were melting snow in it in any handy receptacle. We hurried to the kitchens as fast as we could, but the potatoes were already almost finished. We filled two sacks and left them in Arthur's keeping. Among the ruins of Block, Charles and I found what we have been searching for. A heavy cast iron stove with the flue still usable. Charles hurried over with a wheelbarrow and we loaded it on. He then left me with the task of carrying it to the hut and ran back to the sacks. There he found Arthur unconscious from the cold. Charles picked up both sacks and carried them to safety. And he then took care of his friends. Meanwhile, staggering with difficulty, I was trying to maneuver the heavy wheelbarrow as best as possible. There was the roar of an engine, and an SS man entered the camp on a motorcycle. As always, when I saw their hard faces, I froze from terror and hatred. It was too late to disappear, and I did not want to abandon the stove. The rules of the lager stated that one must stand at attention with head uncovered. I had no hat and was encumbered by the blanket. I moved a few steps away from the wheelbarrow and made a sort of awkward bow. The German moved on without seeing me. Turned, a hut, turned behind a hut and left. Only later did I realize that the, da- the danger I had run. I finally reached the entrance of the hut and unloaded the stove into Charles's hands. I was completely breathless from the effort. Large block spot, black spots danced before my eyes. It was essential to get it working. We all, had, we all three had our hands paralyzed while the icy metal stuck to the skin of our fingers. But it was vitally urgent to set it up to warm ourselves and to boil the potatoes. We had found wood and coal as well as embers from the burnt huts. 
When the broken window was repaired and the stove began to spread its heat, something seemed to relax in everyone. And at that moment, Tarawowski, a French, a Franco Pole of 23, Typhus, proposed to the others that each of them offer a slice of bread to us, three who had been working. And so it was agreed. Only a day before a similar event would have been inconceivable. The law of the lager said, eat your own bread, and if you can, that of your neighbor, and left no room for gratitude. It really meant that the lager was dead. It was a it, this was the first human gesture that had occurred among us. I believe that that moment can be dated as the beginning of the change by which who we had not died, who had not died slowly changed from halfling to men again. What Primal Levy is explaining is this was a situation in which they went into the kitchen and one person found potatoes and one person found the oven and they worked together to schlep the oven, to set it up, to work together. And he says it was at this moment that he recognized that they were human beings again. Because previously, while the war was still raging, everything had been about what we can do for ourselves. If you had a scrap of bread, it was yours. If you could take from someone else, you took theirs as well. You were only able to think about yourself. It was inconceivable to care about another person because what you were trying to do was maintain your own life. And he said it was that at this moment, when they collaborated for the first time, they worked together. One person found the pot, one person found the potatoes. They were there for each other. It was only at that point that they transformed back into human beings. That what makes us human is not caring about ourselves. That is what we are when we first come into this world. But what Hashem is telling us is if you are truly going to be a nation, if you are going to function in the best way in this world, then you are going to have to care about others. You are going to have to give to other people. So he starts us off in this week's parasha and says, Give me truba. Asher yudvenu libo. What you desire to give, you should give over to build the Mishkan. You should become builders as you are a bonayich. You are my builders. You are the ones that are adding tefillah and brachot into the world. You are connecting to me. And you are marvim shalom ba'olam. You are bringing greater peace in the world all through the ability to give. So Amir Tashem, may we be able to take this lesson from Parsha Truma that is going to carry us through the rest of this Sefer. And may we be able to embrace our quality of being givers and use that ability to give, to recognize the partnership that we are in with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the great relationship, the closeness that we are able to develop with Hashem if we become givers and in turn become the Marvim Shalom Ba'olam. Use this ability to give, to connect to Hashem, and also to connect to our fellow human beings, to mature as a nation and mature as individuals.